Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, Reflection, a Study of Philippians. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Well, um, it is good to be home. I think. No, it is. It always is. And um, <clears throat> I know that Heather did uh, just a phenomenal job. I listened to her podcast, and she's just such a gifted teacher. In fact, all three of them, oh my goodness, we're so blessed. Can I say how blessed we are yes. to have three young teachers coming up that just do such an amazing job. So I can feel like I'm just leaving you in wonderful hands, and I missed you thought about you. I mean, when Tuesday night starts happening and Wednesday morning, I'm like, okay, let's see, they're, uh, they're having group right now. And, you know, I just, I'm, I'm right here with you. But um, anyway, but it was good to get away. And Bob and I got a lot of studying done, which we never are able to get done here, as you can well imagine. So it was wonderful to be, to be gone, but I'm glad to be back. So anyway, we're, today we're going to be talking about how Paul had such a correct focus on the things in his life, a correct focus. And that's the title of our lesson, Reflecting the Correct uh, Focus. On, on, uh, reflecting the Correct Focus. I'll get it out yet. But anyway, <laughs> and what an amazing role model he is for us as we sort through the challenges in our own lives. And we're not chained to a palace guard. I don't think any of you, you don't look like you're chained to a palace guard, from what I can see here. And yes, we have our challenges, but that's what gives, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that's what gives Paul such a credibility because of what he was going through in his life. He did not, he was not living in some palace or some, you know, estate somewhere. He was in prison and he was chained. So he, had, he, he just has such credibility in our hearts that as he says, for me to live as Christ and some of the other things that we're going to be studying, to be joyful always and all those things that he says. When I first graduated from high school, I mean from college, um, my first year of teaching, I was in um, Pompano Beach. And being away from my own home and family, um, I, it was a lonely time for me. They were in the Midwest, and I was down here in South Florida. And um, I befriended another first-year teacher up there. And she and I, oh my goodness, we just clicked. She was also from the Midwest. Do we have any Midwesterners out here? Yeah, look at that. See there? I knew I liked you. Anyway, <laughs> there's just something special about that. And we just um, loved being together, and it was just a real special friendship for me, both of us first-year teachers in the same school. And she was such a sweetheart but not a believer. And I remember that not wanting to offend my new bestie, I um, never talked to her about her spiritual life. During that year, she began dating a young man who was a Christian, and he won her to the Lord. And when he won her to the Lord, I was like, wow, Jill, I'm so excited. Welcome to the family. And she looked at me and she said, are you a Christian and you didn't tell me? And I was so convicted by that and so ashamed by that 
that I've never forgotten. And here I'm telling you the story now, years and years and years. I'm not going to tell you how many years later. But she forgave me, and we went on, and we did a Bible study together. But you know what? It changed my perspective, my focus forever. Not that I didn't want to offend with my faith, but that I need to walk straight forward with my faith so that I can know that people that I love and know will someday be with me in eternity. Anyway, we will learn today, not so with Apostle Paul. He was a model for the church then and for us having the correct perspective. So number, the first statement on your outline, what was the Apostle Paul's focus? What was his focus? A, on your outline, first, he has confidence that in all things he can experience joy that he can experience joy. Look with me. I know you've already got your Bibles open from small group time. Look at verse the end of verse 18 and verse 19 with me. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So his perspective was, whatever happens, I can find joy, and it's because of your prayers for me. Paul is suggesting that through the prayers of the Philippians, he will be supplied by the Holy Spirit and the power he needs to face whatever he will now face. What did he, what he knew, knows if, that he faces is deliverance in either way, right? He, could, he would be delivered either way. Either deliverance would be from his present situation, he'd get out of prison in jail or being uh, chained to a guard, or deliverance into the eternity with Jesus. Wow. Whatever, he will experience God's deliverance. Number one, he rejoices in spiritual deliverance, whatever the physical outcome. As Paul sat in, in Roman custody, he was confident that as the Philippians prayed for him, he was so grateful for their prayers because he would be supplied with fresh supplies of the spirit of Jesus, as he said in, his, in that verse that I just read to empower him to face whatever trial he would face and ultimately to secure his deliverance. He knew that the Philippians were and would continue to pray for him and that fueled his confidence to face whatever trial came his way. Now, I want to quickly say to you, Thank you all for those of you who are participating in the urgent prayer ministry here at our Bible study. It has added such a dimension to our, our time together. And, you know, Pam isn't here for us to be able to say thank you, Pam Vlahos, for, for leading it and taking hours of time of organizing and sending out the prayer needs. But, you know, how wonderful that we're lifting each other up, that we can be a part of each other's lives, not only just you know, around your tables, but the entire ministry. And it, it's kind of a reflection of what Paul was saying to the Philippians. I, you know, I can go through this because I know you're praying for me. And we can say that as well, can't we, with each other. That as we go through our difficulties in this time, in this world, in our culture, that we can count on the prayers of our Christian brothers and sisters. And I love it that we have that that in our, our own midst here at, uh, our at our Bible study. So number two, he is rejoicing in the prayers of his fellow believers. Paul had massive confidence, but interestingly, 
A, small a, it was a massive co uh, confidence, but it was not due to self-sufficiency. He wasn't saying, hey, you know, I'm such a great guy that I'm, I'm going to be okay here. It had nothing to do with his own confidence. Paul's confidence came from the Philippian church praying for them. The word help in verse 19 that we read a minute ago literally means supply in the original language. In other words, their prayers had caused God to supply the Holy Spirit to him to give him the confidence and the courage to face whatever his life held for him in the next months and years ahead. So his confidence be, it was through community. It was through community. It wasn't his own self-assurance and, oh, aren't I all that, and I'm such a strong believer, and all those kinds of things. It was through community. The wonderful truth here is that Paul's massive peace and confidence in this incredibly difficult situation was through and only through the Holy Spirit and their prayers that their prayers brought. His confidence, his tone, his joy, his rejoicing always in the Lord comments that we're going to read over and over and over again in these four short chapters of Philippians are because the Holy Spirit has been gifted to him through the prayers of his fellow believers. It's the same today, isn't it? And that's what's so wonderful about the word of God. And that's why I'm so grateful that you could be doing all kinds of things with your morning on Wednesday morning, and here you are studying the word of God, because here's the wonderful thing. Whatever he was experiencing, whatever joys were provided to Paul, we have that same privilege now, because God inspired these words to be written thousands of years ago, so that we then could be encouraged today as we go through our issues and our difficulties and our challenges that we have in our lives. Whatever was true for Paul is true for you and me. Whatever was true in that time is true for our time. And that's what's so amazing about God's word. Written thousands of years ago. Goodness sake, how, old, how long ago was the Old Testament written? And yet it's truth because it's God's word, God's truth. And so we can apply it and embrace it in our own lives. Haven't you experienced that? Where maybe you're going through something very difficult and <clears throat> there's a beloved friend or member of your table or somebody and you and they say let me pray for you and all of a sudden you feel that <sighs> lifted circumstances maybe have not changed <laughs> but somebody's prayer for you or maybe a group of women praying for you or whatever and suddenly you feel that lifted I'm, this is a confession to you some of you already know this about me but when I start every single year um, teaching I go through this in the fall I'm like what if the Lord doesn't show up this time? What if it doesn't happen? What if I can't speak when I get to the mic? You know, and all this kind of, I go through all of this, and there's several of you that know that and pray for me. And I remember one particular, in fact, it was um, early this year, actually, the first couple uh, studies, and um, I shared that, and somebody said, well, I am praying for you, and several of, of you prayed for me. And it was almost like a lifting of that, get over yourself, Rosemary. It's not you anyway. <laughs> and I, almost, I could feel it be lifted. Haven't you experienced that? That's what Paul is saying. Thank you, Philippians Christians, because I sense the Holy Spirit's presence in my life to help me in this circumstance where I don't know if I'm going to be called into the main 
palace and say, this is a day that you are going to have be executed. And that's exactly what happened to Paul later on. And so he said, in this not knowing, I can still be filled with joy. Why? Nothing that I conjure up because of you, because of the community. And that is what he's trying to say to us. Be on your outline. Paul also expresses that he has confidence that the Lord Jesus will be honored. Look at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that the full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Number one, he desires that Jesus will be honored. He is, he is viewing his upcoming trial as an opportunity to defend the gospel. He's saying, okay, you know what? I'm sitting here in prison, no telling what that looks like, but the circumstances were, where am I now? Um, were so incredible, and yet he, there's the hope there is that whatever happens to me, whatever tomorrow looks like, whatever, whether I live or die, the hope, the, 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 um, the, the joy is that I want Jesus to be honored. Now, the word for hope here, it's very interesting. It's not like English that we use, oh, I hope, hope, hope that I'll be okay tomorrow. Um, you know, that will it happen or won't it happen? That's how we kind of think of the word hope. But biblical hope is confidence and a certainty. I have the hope that Jesus is going to be honored in whatever circumstances. I have that confident expectation of certainty. And that's what Paul is saying. I know. I'm confident. I have the hope that this is going to happen. Number two, he expects that Jesus will be honored through his response. He is expectant and fully confident, again, not by his own abilities, but what God was doing through the prayers of his beloved friends, he could be confident and bold no matter what his personal outcome was, whether release, continued imprisonment, or actually death. Whatever it was, hey, I, I can be confident. I can be bold in that, and I can, and, and, and praying that God would be honored in all that. Some of you have heard of Jim Elliott, who was martyred um, in the Amazon, and he made this comment, my body will be the theater that Christ is glorified, that Christ's glory is displayed. Let me read that again. My body will be the theater that Christ's glory is displayed. And boy, wasn't that the truth? <laughs> was, he, was the Lord glorified in the response of Jim Elliot and then Elizabeth Elliot following him and how she went right back to the Amazon to minister to the very people that took the life of her husband? Oh my goodness. Is that truth or what? what? It was almost like a prediction in a way, wasn't it? A foreshadowing of what was really going to happen. And that was what Paul was saying. Paul reflected the same sentiment. Whatever he would soon face, pains, humiliation, whatever awaited him, with eager confidence, he knew that Christ would be glorified. Not again, anything he could do, but through the Holy Spirit living through him. Then he goes on to say one of the most profound verses in the Bible. See on your outline. He has confidence in life or death. Look with me to verse 20 and 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet, which should I choose? I can't tell. Wow, are those some powerful words? Um, I don't know if you all have heard of um, a gentleman who was a, he was a friend of Bob's, he was a friend of also Roby, my son, and was a part of um, several churches. He was a missionary to Africa. And a couple of years ago, he was martyred by terrorists in Africa. And the amazing thing is in his last furlough, his wife, by the way, went back and is still on that mission field in the same area that Mike was uh, martyred. But anyway, he came home for his, the last furlough before he went back and months later was martyred. And his last sermon before he got on the plane to go back was these verses. And they showed it at his memorial service at um, Hollywood Community Church. And you see him, they didn't do the whole sermon, but just mainly this part. And he got to this part of the verse and he said, for me to live is Christ. And then he paused for just a minute. And then he said, but to die is gain. Little did he know that just a few months later, he would be learning the truth of this verse. It was almost like, you know, I don't want to be like weird or anything, but it was almost as if he had this, this moment with the Lord of where he thought, huh, wow, but to die is gain. Wow, amazing. The Philippians must have been stunned as those words were read. What was he saying? Well, number one, he had Jesus living in him. In other words, as believers, we have Jesus and his power dwelling in us. May we never forget that. When we become believers, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, when we invite him into our life, when we ask him to forgive us our sins based on what he did on the cross for us, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, what does that verse say? The old is gone, and we become new creations or new creatures. I love that word. Um, and isn't that wonderful news? That once we become a believer, the old me is gone. Good news. And Jesus begins to live through uh, my life. Kent Hughes said, the miracle of mutual inness." with the divine Christ lay at the root of Paul's astonishing confidence. In other words, as Jesus lives in us, as we receive Jesus as our personal Savior, and he comes to dwell within us and make us a new creation in Christ Jesus, then we can live in his strength and power. He lives in us, and then we can live in him. We can Our outward manifestation of life can be in him. Not only did he and we have Jesus and his power living in him and in us to be confident no matter what comes our way, our, because our confidence comes from the Lord. We have that same privilege, and if we don't embrace it, that's our bad, isn't it? Because it is made available to us just, we could sound just like Paul. Wow. Somebody said, oh, I can't wait to meet him, one of the, the leaders. And I thought, ooh, talk about intimidation. Wow, I'm going to be kind of intimidating. But anyway, but we can have that same kind of confidence because guess what? It has nothing to do with Paul. It has nothing to do with you and me. It has everything to do with Jesus 
when he fills my life, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Wow. Number two, part of that is he identified with Jesus's suffering. He was not saying, okay, now that I'm a believer, I can live a trouble-free life. No, guess what? That's for heaven, isn't it? That's what we learned about last year. Those of you who were with us studying last year, we learned about that. But he is saying instead, I have the privilege, wow, of suffering like Jesus did. And there's sometimes, do you ever feel so overwhelmed in your life sometimes? And you kind of feel like, does God even know what I'm dealing with for his sake? Have you felt that way? Yeah, Bob and I have often said, do they have a clue? You know what? Really, do they have a clue? You know what? No, they probably don't. But guess who does have a clue? Jesus, the Lord, God. Listen to, this is one of my favorite verses. Whenever I feel like nobody understands what I'm going through or doing or dealing with or whatever, when I go through those moments in my life, Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. In other words, God is aware of every single thing that goes on in our lives for his sake, whether it's a difficult boy, whether it's an issue in your family, whether it's overwork, whether you're tired of service, whatever it might be, God sees every single thing we do on his behalf. I love that verse. In fact, I have this sort of mental picture of, of God standing sort of on the, you know, the sidelines of heaven looking down with the journal that says Rosemary. And then he'll go, okay, I'm, I, hey, angels, come here. I need to mark this one down, mark this one down, mark this one down. That's a little bit humanistic. It's human-y. But, um, but he, that's kind of the picture. He is aware of every single thing that we go through on his behalf. Or, yes, or praying maybe for somebody day in and day out, and you feel burdened and, uh, and overworked by praying for that person or whatever it is. He is aware. God is aware of every single thing that we do, and that gives me confidence to keep on. If God knows that, then, okay, that energizes me. I can do a little bit more tomorrow. Did you notice that one, Lord? Oh, yeah, 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 you did. So anyway, but also another thing to consider is 1 Peter 8, B, and 9. This is sort of the, um, the negative contrast to the fact that God sees everything. And this is the verse that says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Is that picturesque or what? Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by, your, by the brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, when you feel overwhelmed by maybe those difficulties or hard work or praying, 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 or whatever it is, um, heaven knows, but until we get to heaven, we won't be released, and the evil one is working, working, working to bring discouragement and failure in our lives, and there will be suffering for us. Hate to say it, truth. As long as we live in this fallen world, there are going to be difficulties. They're going to be difficulties. But Paul's correct um, perspective and focus is this. Absolute devotion 
to the purposes of Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to have the devil coming after me. Yes, I'm going to be tired. Yes, I'm going to be this. But Paul says, but I'm going to choose to remember that God sees everything. And so I'm going to cling to that perspective and I'm going to have absolute devotion to the purpose of Jesus no matter what troubles may come my way because guess what for me to die is gain we're going to talk about that in just a minute I, I heard a speaker one time say he saw this flyer from a church advertising that their church would not make them feel uncomfortable come as you are we won't ask for money service will be 59 minutes long Service is early, so the rest of the day will not be inconvenienced by church, and you can get to the golf course. Wow. I don't think that that's why we're here, do you? Certainly not Paul. To be, he didn't want to be inconvenienced. I don't think so, not at all. Wow. That was not the sentiments of Paul here. Instead, three, he made Jesus the center of everything. Jesus, the center of everything, his ministry, his contacts, his conversations, his suffering, all he desired to make Jesus the center. Wow. Count Zinzendorf said this, I have but one enthusiasm, it is he, only he. And that was Paul's feeling. That is what we need to embrace as well. That was the meaning of Paul saying, for me to live is Christ. And then the end of the verse, and to die is gain. He knew in death, life's battle would be done, over. The work, the, the prayer, the efforts, the tiredness, all those things. Wow, when I die, goodness sake, I get to go experience what Jesus is preparing for me. Unbelievable. Uh, the place where, according to Revelation 21.4, says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so Paul was saying, wow, that would be so gain for me. But you know what? Until God is ready to bring me home, Every day is going to be for Jesus' sake. Every day is going to be sacrificed for him. Every day I'm going to work, work, work for his glory and honor. But when the battle's over, the suffering done, my role is done. What an incredible, incredible perspective. You know, <clears throat> a few years ago, I've used this illustration before, but I just had to put it in again. So sorry if you're having to see it again. But um, a few years ago, I was traveling up to see my mother who was very ill, and um, she, uh, once a week, twice a month, whatever, many times. And um, I remember she, they, my dad and her lived in a retirement community for missionaries. And it began with having their own single dwelling home, and then if they got sick, then they'd be moved on property, on site, to the nursing center. Well, my dad had already gone home to be with the Lord, and my mother was, had had a stroke, and she was in the nursing center. And we were sitting there having a cup of like, tea one afternoon, just chatting, and you know, I was there checking on her. And a friend of hers came walking down the hall, and she said, Claire, did you know that they tore down your house over there on Lakeview Court? And I went, oh. And she goes, no, I did not. And she goes, yes, they have torn down your, your house. I just thought, you know, I saw you sitting there. I thought you might be interested. And my heart is just dying 
because my mother immediately said, let's go see it, please, Rosemary. And I thought, oh. and if your mother was like my mother, when she gets things in her head, there was no talking her out of it. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So I knew the first time she said, I want to go see this, that I was going. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. So we got her back in her wheelchair, and I wheeled her a, a couple blocks down to where her, her house had been. And she sat there in front of her house and in her wheelchair. And you see um, kind of the, on the right-hand side, there's just rubble, dirt, puddles, and where her house had once stood. And she looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, very quietly, not saying a word. And then she said, okay, I'm ready. We, I wheeled her back to her room, and I said, Mom, I, I, you know, are, uh, how are you? Are you okay? And she goes, well, I'm a little sad. And I said, a little sad. I didn't want to put thoughts in her mind, but <laughs> I said, a little sad. I mean, you lived on the mission field, and you lived in several different uh, cities and pastorate, and this was the longest stint that you had with Daddy. You were here for 25 years. A little sad? And then I felt bad for saying, because I'm thinking, I know. What was I thinking, Denise? I don't know. And so she, she kind of sat up. She thought for a minute, and she sat up kind of a little bit higher in her, in her wheelchair, and she said, you know what? I've lived long enough to know that things like houses, things don't matter at all. She said, I'm headed for heaven, and I am headed to what Jesus has prepared for me. She said, I'm going to have a reunion with Jesus. I'm going to have a reunion with Daddy. I'm going to have a reunion with my friends and my relatives and people that have gone on before me that know Jesus. She said, that's what makes me excited. <laughs> wow, I was speechless after that. And here's the cool thing. Just a few months later, she went home to be with the Lord. And she had planned her memorial service again. Typical of my mother. <laughs> She had planned her memorial service probably 10 years before she went to be with Jesus. And my section, my responsibility, was to read John 14, 1 through 7. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I just could not believe that just a few months earlier, she had expressed that to me in a very dramatic and real way. Wow, that's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Wow. D, he has confidence in his inner debate. He, Paul takes it one step further. Confidence in his inner debate. Look at verse 22. If, verse 22. Verse 22. Okay. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I choose I cannot tell. As he has already established, number one, life meant fruitfulness for Jesus. In other words, if I have to stay here, if I don't get to go home and be in that place that Jesus has prepared for me, well, then, you know what? Then living needs to be fruitfulness. It needs to, to matter for Christ's sake. And even more wonderful... Um, he will say, number two, death meant being free with Jesus. But if he is living here, 
then he wants every day to count for the Lord's sake. I, I used this example a couple weeks ago, but Grace Chavis, one of my mentors from First Baptist Church, used to say every morning she put her feet down on the floor and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, whatever you purpose for me in this 24-hour period, hopefully not 24 hours, hopefully more like 8 or 10 or something. Anyway, um, whatever you want for me to do with this day, it is yours. And may you be glorified. And that's kind of the tone of what Paul is saying. If I'm to live, then it means fruitfulness for, uh, for Christ. Number two, but death meant being free and with Jesus. J.A. Moiter said this, for Paul, death is glorious possession of Christ. Life is a glorious bearing of fruit. If I get to be with Jesus, wow, I'm done with all this. But if he leaves me here, then there's something for me to accomplish. And I need to be about what he has for me to do. Also, three, death is more desired by Paul. Listen to this, 23. This doesn't sound like our culture today, I don't think. I am hard-pressed between the two. My, de my desire is to depart and be with Jesus, and that is far better. Can you imagine that perspective in our culture today? We live in a culture that has such a dread of death that it seems like society's greatest goal sometimes is to, is to postpone it. Even as Christians, often we act like death is something horrifying rather than, wow, we get to be with Jesus. We get to go on and be with Jesus. Of course, we need to be balanced because we know that it says in the Bible that long life is a gift from God. But Paul has this wonderful perspective. The ultimate destination is to shed this person of flesh and to pass into the realm with Jesus that he is preparing for us, into where he has uh, wants us to spend eternity with him. Paul saw it as the ultimate goal rather than focusing on living to the fullest like our culture. What can make me happy? What was that, Maria? Uh, happiness is happenings. And joy is Jesus. She came up with that quote. Is that great or what? Happiness is happenings. Joy. We don't want happy, do we? We want joy. Joy is a deep down inside. Wow. Joy is Jesus. That is profound. I love that. Um, that's the happiness is happenings is sort of our cultural thinking. Joy is Jesus is what Paul is trying to communicate to us. A couple years ago, Bob and I were driving in the Blue Ridge Parkway. Any of you driven up there? Oh my goodness, it's just absolutely astonishing. You know, you see uh, range after range of Smoky Mountains and you know lush trees and. Uh, not palm trees, but, you know, oak trees and whatnot. And um, we, were, we, we loved doing that and just driving around and, and just observing the beauty of God's creation. It's just such an awe-inspiring thing to see it. And if you've been on the parkway, you know that every few miles you go through a tunnel to get through those, you know, yeah, the hillsides and all that to get to the next place. And um, this was the very first tunnel. And when we got in there, we realized, oh my goodness, it was pitch black. We had forgotten to turn the lights on and we were screaming, Wah! 
the top of our line. We were terrified. Well, Bob's, you know, running, trying to figure out how to turn on the lights, and it was the longest tunnel on all of the parkway, I'm thinking. And we were just panic-stricken and screaming, literally, in the top of our lungs, find it, find it, where is it? And finally, all of a sudden, we emerged. And here we were, glorious, sun-kissed, mountain view after mountain view after mountain view, lush trees and plants. And um, it was just breathtaking, especially after the horror of utter uh, darkness. <laughs> That's kind of what it's all about. Yes, you know, it, it, that's the picture, that, that it was difficult in the tunnel. But when we get through that tunnel, bursting forth in the glorious presence of Jesus. Wow. That's what Paul is saying. Look at his perspective, his focus. Number three, the conclusion of this debate was the welfare of others. Look at verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. How gripping is that? He's longing beyond words to see the face of Jesus. He wants to get through that tunnel, boy, and get into the glorious surroundings of what eternity is going to be like. But he realized that his most important focus was on the welfare of the churches, including Philippi, which he was writing to. So he submitted to God's ordering of his steps in future. You know, to, for me to to live as, as Christ and to do what you want me to do, to die, oh, gain. But whatever, the most important thing is to remain in the flesh on your account, is what he is saying. Frank Tillman said this, the question of whether he lives or dies are molded by his commitment to the advancement of the gospel. He's saying, I will relinquish, I will release that desire more than anything to be with Jesus if it means that the, the gospel will be advanced. E on your, on, on your outline, he says, he has confidence of being reunited. Look at verse 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your prayers and joy and faith so that in me you can have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. I think I'm going to be here. He has no divine revelation about the future, but he clearly feels that they will find joy in the glory of the Lord, whatever his outcome is. He feels if he remains it would be to be ministering to them. Whatever, whether he sees them again or not, the greatest focus is their progress in joy in their faith in Christ Jesus. Once again, that resounding theme of joy. Again, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. I'd rather be with Jesus, but you know, I'm staying here for the furtherance of the kingdom and all that. But whatever it is, I'm joyful. I'm joyful. It's what he's saying. He is overwhelmed with a joyful confidence at whatever life had in store for him. What an example for us. I, a couple weeks ago, I said, as I was preparing this lesson, I said to Bob, you know, I just have this sort of this pall of sadness on me. And he said, well, you know what? I think it's because there's so much heaviness and sadness around us and so many needs that we're praying for and all that. And then I was reminded of all that Paul, Paul was going through as I prepared this lesson. I thought, oh, you know, oh my goodness. The unknown future, living in chains with no freedom in sight that he knew of, and his concern for that fledgling church and others that he was ministering to her, to him. And I was deeply convicted of my attitude and realized that what I needed was an attitude check, a check on my focus, just like that first year of teaching. 
when my focus should have been on the spiritual welfare of my friend instead of my own discomfort. Wow, wow. I need today to not allow life to weigh me down, but to see what God wants me to do to help those around us. We all need to have that perspective. We all have to have that perspective that um, we want to see progress and joy in the lives around us while we're here on this earth. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain.